Hello again, Spurs fans, and welcome to another episode of the Big Fundamental Podcast, a Ken's Five podcast all about your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball in general. I'm Cameron Songer. Joining me today, Ken's Five sports reporter Vinny Vinzetta. Vinny, how you doing today? Well, I don't know. Are we supposed to be happy or, or sad or down the middle or uh, non-biased or what? I'm not sure. Well, it's the big fun pod, so we're always having fun over here. <laughs> That's right. But uh, the Spurs, man, there's not a lot of fun to be had with that team right now, man. They're on a seven-game losing streak. We'll talk about uh, how they've been doing on the floor, but our the top story here to talk about first for the past week was uh, the Saturday game. Coach Popovich got ejected. He, ar- he was arguing a call. And uh, then the question was, well, who's going to take over? And that was something that I think people were looking at and saying, hey, Becky Hammond could be the first female to be the the head coach if Pop gets ejected from any game. The Spurs never came out and said that. And I think that's important to remember. So when uh, when Pop left and Tim Duncan was out there holding the clipboard, Becky also, people were asking a lot of questions. Who is in charge out there? And uh, Greg Popovich had to sort of answer some tough questions in the postgame. Well, he said in postgame that, that Timmy was head coaching the team after he was ejected. And I think once all the dust kind of settled, the reason that he was coaching was because each assistant coach is assigned a scout over the course of any given game week. And the Trailblazers, that's who it was that night, right? Yeah. The Trailblazers were Timmy's scout that, right, uh, scout that night. So it was sort of a group effort. Timmy may have been the interim for the remainder of that game, but... The best I could tell, it was kind of Becky and Tim and sort of a group effort in the end, even though, again, in postgame, Pop said it was Timmy's game the rest of the way. Yeah, you can always count on the Spurs. It's going to be a little bit unorthodox, especially in this day and age where most other teams sort of have a lead assistant where if the coach is, you know, misses a game because he's sick or uh, gets ejected, that there's going to be some other face who steps up and is the coach. But the Spurs sort of doing it by committee right now. And, uh, and I think that disappointed some people. I think, I think a lot of people were really rooting for Becky Hammond to get to be the coach for a half a game or so. I saw some, some women here and there posting on social media, you know, they were upset and, hey, Pop, stay true to what you're building and why you hired her. And I can understand that, but I think Pop quickly in postgame put it to rest and said Timmy was running the show uh, the rest of the way, at least sort of officially for the record in that game. And I think knowing what we know now that hey, this is what is going to be the case if Coach Pop ever gets ejected again. There is a chance that Becky sort of is that lead person in a situation like that, where if it just happens to be her turn in that rotation between uh, Tim and uh, Hardy and Becky Hammond in terms of who's in charge of scouting these opposing teams, it makes sense. That's something other NBA teams do. That's not, that's not a weird thing that happens at a lot of, it happens in the college game. Uh, so the fact that different assistant coaches are, responsible for different teams and, and doing the scouting report for the different teams. If it just so happens that it lines up again where Pop gets ejected, we could see Becky Hammond make that history. But Coach Pop's, the, the, the real great post-game quote he had was, I'm not here to make history. Right. You know, the, we're here to win some basketball games. Yeah, no, that was a great thing to, th- thing to hear. And uh, that's kind of boom, you know, let's get right to the, to the heart of the matter. And uh, he was exactly uh, right about that. And a lot of times when a head coach in pro sports, even college sports, when they get tossed, a lot of times, and you know this, it's not entirely because they're upset with officiating. They're trying to rally their team. So it, it, it's usually as much of a, of a rally cry of, come on, guys, let's go, uh, as much as, as it is that he's upset with an official. Yeah, it's a motivational tactic, and and yeah, this, a situation like that where the where 
pop is out, it's not going to be a long-term kind of thing right now. And that clearly it's something maybe the Spurs put themselves in a situation where they let media speculation sort of get a little bit ahead of what they actually uh, were saying. And, and it, it, it maybe led to some confusion. But I think that that's all been cleared up for now. I think this, the Spurs handled it as, as well as they could have. I'd agree with that, yep. Uh, in terms of what they could have done and uh, what they didn't do, they're not really playing great basketball right now, Vinny. Uh, we'll look at these last few games. Uh, the Spurs, though, uh, they're now 5-10 and 10 on the season. They've lost seven straight. According to tankathon.com, the Spurs have the toughest remaining schedule in the NBA. Uh, and one of the things that they say on their website as they rank the strength of schedules, a high strength of schedule is good for tanking. So there have been some people on social media saying, yeah, the Spurs should blow it up. This season is a wash. It, it's still very early. It's 5-10. and 10. It's not great, but it's still, I think, too early for that. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Let's start breaking down some of these games, though. The Friday game was at Orlando. The Spurs lost 111-109, and uh, Bryn Forbes played really well. Shot the ball well from deep. Problem was he couldn't make a two-point shot. He was 4-7 of seven from beyond the arc, 0-6 of six from inside the arc. Meanwhile, and this is a theme here, Opposing guards, opposing wings just going off, having really big games. The Spurs' defense has not been what we're expecting of them. Evan Fournier in this game uh, led all scorers with 26 points on 5 of 6 from beyond the arc. Uh, the Spurs, though, actually shot the ball well from downtown in that game. 13 of 26 from long range. That's 50%. They even made more threes than that. That almost never happens, and the Spurs still were just on the losing end of a close game. It hasn't been uh, their offensive prowess. I mean, they've been shooting the ball actually really well. It's, it's defense is the problem, and we've seen it on, on more than one occasion. And getting down in big holes early, you know, it really doesn't matter at times how good your offense is. You dig yourself such a hole, it's hard to get out of it. And I would have thought among this seven-game skid, that at the Orlando Magic is one they would have gotten. But turns out we were wrong. Yeah, I know. There have been a few of those where you look at it and say, hey, there's a pretty good chance for a win here. Uh, that was one of them. Uh, we'll talk about another one here in just a second. It's the most recent game the Spurs played against the Wizards. But we'll get to that. Uh, one other note. So you talked about the fact that the Spurs are offensively are solid. They're a top half offensive team. I think they're top 10, maybe top 8 or so offensive efficiency. And, and it's because they're making tough shots. DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge both doing their thing from the mid-range. And that's been nice to see. The problem is they just can't get stops when they need them. And sometimes when they get the stops, they're not cleaning the glass. That was the problem in this game against Orlando. The Spurs gave up 14 offensive rebounds to Orlando. And they're, they're a big team. They're, they've got some good, uh, some good big men who, who really get after the glass. Uh, the Spurs got just eight of their own. So that's an extra six possessions. And in a two-point game, that, you better believe that made the difference. So the Spurs got some stops in that game but couldn't finish the possession. That, that drives a coach crazy. Offensive rebounds, no doubt. Oh, that's a big one for Pop. I mean, uh, you know, you're expected to uh, get on the glass and uh, clean it up, not just when you're on your offensive end, but uh, even more of a workload on your defensive end, no question about it. So the Spurs didn't have long to stew over that loss. They played the second game of a back-to-back, -back, came back home for a Saturday game against the Blazers. This was the one we were talking about where Coach Pop got tossed. Which, by the way, Portland was already here. They didn't play the night before, so they're resting comfortably in San Antonio, waiting on the Spurs to arrive back from Florida. Spurs fell behind early and uh, couldn't come all the way back. They lost 121-116. The standout in this game is LaMarcus Aldridge playing against his former team. 30 points, 13 rebounds, even knocked down a pair of three-pointers. Uh, but the, what was surprising about this game, every single quarter was decided by at least 10 points. So the Spurs lost by double digits in the first quarter, won the second and third quarters by uh, 
by double digits and then ended up losing by five. So they, they choked. That's kind of, though, life in the NBA. You know, no lead is safe. And, uh, you know, a, a coach's worst nightmare a lot of times is to have a huge first quarter lead. But you're, you're right. This thing, was, uh, this thing was seesaw back and forth. It was crazy. The bench, I think, stepped up big in this game. Lonnie Walker played just 11 minutes but was plus 11. Marco Bellinelli was plus 19. He played 13 minutes, didn't score. So that's what's uh, – or didn't make a field goal. What's, what's surprising about that is, again, not that the Spurs bench does well because that's, that's what they leaned on a lot last year. Their starters kind of put their, the bench in some holes, and then last season the recipe was, well, Patty Mills, Marco Bellinelli, they came out and made some crazy shots. Davis Bertans was a big part of that. That's a big uh, key piece that's been missing this year for the Spurs. But, uh, again, this was another game where the bench played well. Uh, I think it's also worth noting that DeJounte Murray is not playing the second half of back-to-back, so that sort of thrust uh, Derek White into the starting lineup. He was fine, but I think not having DeJounte out there, it was much more like a last-season kind of lineup for the Spurs, and it, it opened up some other things, especially for that bench. Pop told Joe Reinagle early in the season that DeJounte would be on a minutes restriction for the first 10 games. Here we are 15 games in, and he's still on a minutes restriction. So that, that's, that's, I think, frustrating fans for sure, and it might even be frustrating DeJounte a little bit. But I, I, I keep wondering, how long is a guy who played in the preseason and so far all of the regular season, how long is a guy like that going to be on a, on a restriction? It just, I'm, I'm curious about that. Well, he's sort of the face of the future for the Spurs. They, they just committed a lot of money to him. But so, so maybe they're taking it very, very, very slowly. Very slow. And I guess that's fair. But I just wonder how much longer is he going to be on that restriction? I mean, he's, he's under contract for another four years. He's coming off a major injury for a guy who was, what, 22 when that injury happened? That's fair, yep. Uh, so you're thinking not just about this season, uh, but, but about the future. But I think at that same time, maybe whatever plan you had, you might have to adjust it a little bit depending on what your goals are for the rest of this season based on the results of those first 15 games. And I want to say, I want to add uh, t to that point. And I think you mentioned it earlier. We're not even to December yet. It is not time, in my opinion, to still yet hit the panic button. I know five and ten is not. It's not a good thing, but still, I think there's enough time. And if you look uh, in the West, maybe from slot six, seven, eight on down, they're they're still in this thing. There's still time to recover. Other teams are going to suffer injuries. Other teams are going to go on losing streaks. So I, I I disagree with the whole blow it up right now. I have both a point and a counterpoint to what you just said. On the, on the plus side, yes, the um, other teams suffering injuries. I think the Spurs are one of the teams that's best equipped to handle an injury. They have tremendous depth at every position. On the flip side of that, we talked about the strength of schedule, that, that they have the toughest remaining schedule. They had a very soft start to their schedule, and the, the, the point sort of becomes, well, if you can't beat, uh, you know, if you can only beat the Wizards one out of two times and you can't handle Orlando and, you know, some other games against some teams that should be no problem for a, a, a playoff team in the West, how are you going to handle the, the second half of your schedule, especially that rodeo road trip that's, it's coming and it's tough. I can't believe, how, how scary is that? We're still a week away from Thanksgiving, and we're already saying they have the toughest remaining schedule. That's horrifying, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I was uh, looking at the, uh, at the road schedule into February. I, I took note of the, uh, of the rodeo trip. Basically, everybody on there is good. Yeah, they basically play everybody who's supposed to be a Western Conference playoff team on the road. That's no question. That's crazy. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's going to be uh, a real test. We'll see uh, what the roster and what the lineups and what the rotations are looking like at that point. I think it could, the, the, it could be very different. The, the days of going whatever and one on the rodeo road trip, as we've seen the last few years, those days are over, and I'm not sure 
whoo, you can count on them going undefeated on this road trip either. On Monday, the Spurs began a road trip. This was November 18th. It was a game that was on Ken's 5 and on the Ken's 5 app, if you're following there. Uh, the Spurs dug themselves a big hole and lost in Dallas to the Mavericks 117-110. The story in that game, and we'll talk about him a little bit more, Luka Doncic. Oh my goodness, this guy is legit. He is for real. We knew he was good last year. Like He, he was good. He's taken a huge leap this year. 42 points, 12 assists, 11 rebounds against the Spurs. That's a career high in scoring. Uh, a historic night. He became the second player in NBA history to record a 40-point triple-double before his 21st birthday. The other guy, you might have heard of him. His name is LeBron James. <laughs> uh, here's, and here's a great story about this. I was listening to a podcast. They were talking about this game. Apparently, he had a dream. You know, it's, it's uh, fairly common for players to take a nap the afternoon before an, an evening game. So, you know, he's, he's at the hotel, whatever. Yeah. He, he had a dream that he scored 16 points in the first quarter of this particular game. He scored 17 points in the first quarter. <laughs> so, uh, so he was apparently talking to reporters after the game, and he was, he was relaying this, this thing, and, and he, I guess he deadpanned. Yeah, so dreams don't come true. What about what he did last night against the Golden State Warriors? I was going to get to that. Go for it, though. 33 points in the first half. <laughs> I mean, that game was blown out by the end of the first quarter. I think I text sports photographer Jason Eccleston. I said, the Mavs are up by 30 on Golden State after one. Actually, I think it was 28, but still it sounded better to say 30. Yeah, I was going to talk about this later. Let's jump to it right now because we, you know we're, this is now a Luka Doncic fan account, the, the Big Fun Pod Twitter account. Uh, <laughs> So his triple-double against the Spurs was his sixth in 13 games. Then the next game out was against uh, the Golden State Warriors. He had another triple-double, putting up 35 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. He did that in 25 minutes. He barely had to play in the second half. Uh, the Warriors ended up losing that game against the Mavericks. It was a 48-point blowout. So, uh, yeah, granted the Warriors have not been a very good team right now, but he is putting up ridiculous numbers. Who would have thought that Chris Stapps Porzingis would be deferring to uh, oh, Luka yeah. he's, so he's, early he's in his career? He's a role player now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, but back to this, this game Monday. Uh, DeMar DeRozan sort of for a while was going uh, mano a mano against Don Doncic. There's no game. question, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, DeMar was awesome. He scored just four in the, uh, the first quarter. The, the, the Spurs were terrible in that first quarter. They trailed 36-22. Uh, DeRozan came back, scored 36 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. Doesn't matter. It's an L. It is, uh, but it's good to see him shoot the basketball so well, and, and he's done that now a couple of nights in a row. And, and I heard Sean Elliott mentioning, uh, I, I think it was this, this game broadcast, that uh, it was last season uh, that the Spurs were off to a bad start. DeMar had a really big game offensively, and the team just kind of lined up and followed them. They went on a nice streak. That hasn't initially happened yet, but good to see DeMar, uh, the king of the mid-range, uh, doing some good stuff. It is a bit of a lost start. The Spurs are built around it. They're, the offense hasn't been the problem. Well, we can say that again. The offense is not the problem right now. The Spurs are scoring just as well as just about anybody in the NBA. It's that they can't guard defensively. Uh, that loss on Monday got the Spurs losing streak up to six. It was their longest losing streak since the 2010-2011 uh, season. Uh, which was one where the Spurs won a whole bunch of games and they were very good. There's still a lot that remains to be seen about how this season ends up turning out. Uh, but we can turn our attention now to the game last night, Wednesday night. We're recording this here on Thursday at Ken's 5. Uh, the Spurs lost again, 138-132 to the Washington Wizards. Bradley Beal was the guy. Uh, he scored 21 points in the third quarter, didn't miss a shot, ended up finishing with 33. And I remember at halftime, the Spurs were up by, I think, six and they had held Bradley Beal to just six points. I was like, well, if they can keep this up, they'll be in business. And then the third quarter happened. 
things kind of kept going in the fourth quarter, uh, Washington ended up scoring 75 points in the second half. That's going to happen every now and then, I think, in the NBA. To summarize this game in, 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 in like sort of a buzzword, I don't think it's a coincidence. You know, in the NBA, sometimes a team is going to have a, a game, a hot game. You know, guys, you, some role players are going to get hot from behind the arc. They're not going to miss threes. Uh, superstar player is just going to, you know, he's going to have a favorable matchup and score a bunch of tough shots, and you're going to lose. It's going to happen sometimes. It happens to the best teams. But what's happening to the Spurs right now doesn't feel like a coincidence anymore. If every team has a hot shooting night against you, it's not they're just getting lucky. There's something wrong with you. Yeah, no, they're getting open shots for a reason. And, you know, Bradley Beal is, is their guy, and, uh, you know, he lit it up on them in the second half. And uh, let, me, let, me, let me quickly talk about my frustration with this game. Davis Bertans, the, the former Spur, gets out there and throws down, what, 21 points, hit four threes in the game. Guess what the Spurs got in return for him? Nothing. This goes back to the whole Marcus Morris thing. So that really aggravated me watching Davis do his thing. And, and good for him. He's a good guy. I'm sure it felt good for him. But I'm thinking the whole time, they have Davis Bertans doing that. The Spurs do not have Marcus Morris doing what he does. So it goes back to the whole summer free agency. What a disaster that was. And, 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 and no good on Marcus Morris. I lay that firmly at his feet uh, for the way he treated the Spurs. So that was just kind of a side note to the frustrations of last night's game. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who sort of don't know what we're talking about, the, uh, the situation was Marcus Morris said he was going to sign with the Spurs. And because of that, the Spurs needed to free up a little bit of cap room. It wasn't, it wasn't much, that, but just in order to make the numbers work out just the way they needed them to, uh, the Spurs had to uh, tr get rid of Davis. They had to get rid of somebody. And Davis Bertans, I think, he hits, there had been some rumblings, some grumblings that maybe he wasn't happy with his role, wasn't happy with some of his uh, number of minutes at times. That I think the, the Spurs maybe wanted him to be a little bit better defensively. So they traded him to Washington to get that space so they can get what they want for Morris. And then he backs out. Got he, nothing in return. He, got to, he decided to go to the Knicks. The Spurs have to sort of panic. They end up going with uh, Trey Lyles. They already had Damari Carroll at this point. They, in or, and then when this happens, they restructure Carroll's deal to give him an extra year, a little bit more money, and then they get Trey Lyles in the fold. Lyles has been solid. Carroll has been sort of working his way into the rotation a little bit more. I think that's been a, a point of frustration for some fans that said, hey, you know, this guy was supposed to be sort of our marquee free agent. Not that he's, uh, you know, a marquee free agent, but he was sort of the Spurs big signing after they took care of uh, re-signing Rudy Gay this summer. But what, what, what made the whole thing frustration, Cameron, as you know, is that it happened at the very end of free agency. The summer work was over. They were left twisting in the wind. So Yeah, but, yeah, but, it was really, I mean, and... It, it, I think it's good. It's good on the Spurs that they were able to get Trey Lyles in, and you know he's been a starter for for this team at times. But uh, you look at what Marcus Morris has been doing, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Uh, it would have helped this team, so uh, really put the Spurs in a tough spot. And then, yeah, I think Davis Bertans. It's both games against the uh, against the Spurs now. The Wizards and the, they they split the season series. He he got 20 plus in both games against the Spurs. Shot the lights out. Uh, although shooting lights out wasn't really uh, an aberration. Uh, the Wizards hit 60% of their threes. <laughs> Crazy. 18 of 30. And then the other thing that was happening in that game, I, I watched a couple possessions. I think this was early in the fourth quarter. The Spurs would score on the Wizards because the Wizards' defense is, is pretty porous. No, I think by the numbers they had the worst in the league. Washington yeah, did. Yeah, and, and the Spurs still put up, what, 132 on them, so it wasn't helping. Yeah. So the Spurs would score. Uh, and one play in particular stands out to me. DeJounte Murray banked in about a 12-footer, left, left baseline, short corner. He gets back on defense, you know, long pass, sprint dribble, and suddenly Ish Smith is going one-on-one -on -one against him downhill, gets to the basket, and DeJounte looks around like, where are the rest of the team? 
they didn't get back after someone else scored. It's you know, I, and I was talking to Joe about this last night. We were we were watching this game, and it's like, well, you you see in the NBA sometimes where a guy makes a shot and he he can lollygag back a little bit on defense, but the other four guys got to cover him. But what you almost never see is the four guys watch somebody else score, and then they are slow to get back on defense. I, I mean, I know Coach Pop called a timeout pretty shortly after that happened. I would not have wanted to be in that huddle if I was a player. You got to sprint. You got to get back on defense. And I can only assume that point's going to be hammered home quite a bit before you play at a good Philadelphia team uh, Friday. Yeah. So let's uh, let's look ahead now at what's next for the Spurs. The uh, that that game on Friday night at Philadelphia. It's a team that's uh, nine and five right now. Their best player Joel Embiid averaging about 23, 12, and a block and a half. They're solid. That game will be on ESPN. It's the front end of a back-to-back for the Spurs. On Saturday, they're at Madison Square Garden taking on a, a pretty bad Knicks team. This is, by uh, you know, by some metrics, the easiest remaining game for the Spurs. They do still play the, the Cleveland Cavaliers twice and the Charlotte Hornets twice. Uh, but Marcus Morris is their top scorer right now. And I know the Spurs are going to look at that. They, they should feel fired up to play this team, right? Well, they were when he was here. Uh, that was to open the year, right? Yeah, I it was mean, the opening uh, night. Yeah. That was really ironic. <laughs> That's who was here to open the season. But, yeah, looking at Friday, uh, Philadelphia hasn't been as dominant early this year as they were last year. But you, you put up the numbers there of Joel Embiid uh, averaging uh, 23 points and nearly 12 boards and about two blocks per game. He's a guy that can do damage from anywhere on the floor. He creates a lot of problems. So we talk about defense. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they will let him shoot threes. Uh, he's got mid-range game like LaMarcus and, uh, and DeMar. So uh, a lot of defensive uh, onus on the Spurs on Friday. There are going to be some real tough matchups when you face Philadelphia. They're the biggest team in the NBA. They added Al Horford in the offseason, who's another big guy who has that ability to stretch the floor a little bit. And it, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Ben Simmons made his first career three-pointer last night. Well, I was going to say, he's not going to kill you from, from, from way out, but the, the, right, that, that, he, that's not a good omen. He might be starting to feel it now. This could be, this could be the start. <laughs> People could look back on this in 20 years and say, Oh, the breakout game of Ben Simmons' marksman three-pointers career was against the Spurs. We don't want to see that. <laughs> but that guy's got a lot of length, oh, uh, and, not, not unlike DeJounte Murray. So and, yeah. there, there's a defensive challenge uh, there on Ben Simmons, too, because he can work the basketball. You know, how often do you get a six? He's a six-eight point guard. Six-eight, six-nine point guard. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, if really, though, in terms of point guards who are equipped to handle him, DeJounte Murray's up at the, near the top of that list. He and, would be, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if, you're, if you're building a team and you're, one of your first objectives is how do we stop Ben Simmons, DeJounte Murray's... This, is not a bad option there. So uh, that'll be interesting to watch the, that Friday, Saturday, back-to-back. Spurs come back home for a Monday night game on November 25th against the Lakers. Uh, they're right now, I think, the NBA's best team. They're the only two-loss team uh, left going into games that will be played here Thursday night. Uh, they have the best point differential in the NBA, plus 9.8 points per game. So on average, they're winning by 10 points a game. I mean, they got a lot of good pieces around the King right now. Obviously, uh, you know, JaVale McGee is one of their unheralded heroes right now. I've always been a big fan just from a from an athletic standpoint of Kyle Kuzma. Uh, so there's some good things to work with. And, yeah, they've been they've been really, really good. People think that the other team in L.A. is the team to beat, and they, they, they may very well be down the road as we get into the springtime. But right now, you're right, uh, Cameron, it's the Lakers. Couple other games to look ahead to. We'll actually preview sort of two weeks worth of games. We'll have a, a Thanksgiving break here on the podcast, so we won't reconvene until uh, December. So let's talk about the games leading up to that point. Uh, Wednesday night, just before Thanksgiving, it's a home game for the Spurs against the Timberwolves. That should be a pretty close game. The T-Wolves have been up a little bit right now while the Spurs have been down, but I think both of those teams are sort of expected to be in the mix for that uh, those fringe playoff spots. Yeah. Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins have been uh, the duo that I think people have been waiting for. 
up there in the Twin Cities. Yeah, they've been good. They've been good. And and more guys with length and athleticism. Uh, one that's back at home. I mean, the Spurs have historically been very good at the AT&T Center for a lot of years now, so that's one they need to get. The Friday game, so that homestand during the Thanksgiving week continues. Uh, Three-game homestand capped off by really a great game the night after Thanksgiving. Kawhi Leonard's second game back at the AT&T Center since all that drama of a couple years ago. The Clippers are really good. They just had a really nice win against the Celtics on Wednesday night. The Celtics have been really good. Uh, the Clippers are right now 10-5. and five. They're just starting to get Paul George back into the mix. Uh, he's played, I think, four games now with the, with the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, it was their first game together That's right. on Wednesday night. So, yeah. uh, you know, turn the clock ahead another week. They're, they're going to be starting to click, I think, and I know Kawhi Leonard will be fired up to play at the AT&T Center. I think he really feeds on that negative energy. He will, and, and listen, once, once Doc gets them figured out defensively, Beverly, Harrell, PG-13, and Kawhi? Are you kidding me on the floor in your starting five for defense? I mean, that's going to be suffocating. Now, they're going to have their moments, but overall, over the long haul, this may end up being the defensive club in the NBA this year. One of the better defensive clubs we might see for a while now in a very uh, in a very offensive NBA. I did check because, you know, Kawhi, like DeJounte, hasn't been playing the second half of back-to-backs. He's been load-managed again this year. This is not going to be the second half of back-to-back for the Clippers. They, they play, I think, Monday, Wednesday, Friday next week, ah. just, like the, just like the Spurs. So we should expect to see Kawhi Leonard take on the silver and black at, in San Antonio next Friday. Remember when he returned the first time with the Raptors? He had the opening basket of the game. It was a hoop and a foul. He was like, yeah! And then the rest of his game was not very good. And the Spurs ended up blowing out the Raptors at the AT&T Center. So back to your point earlier, Knowing that his first return didn't go very well, I think you're right. He'll be very fired up to do some good things at the arena against the Spurs. Spurs do have a a quick one-game road trip on uh, Sunday, December 1st. They'll go up to Detroit to take on the Pistons, who are just 4-10. I think they're a team that or maybe sort of like the Eastern Conference equivalent of the Spurs in some ways. I think people looked at them this year and said, maybe they, sh- they should be doing a little bit better. They, the, the issue with them is that Blake Griffin's been hurt. He's just getting back in the fold. But I think they're a team that's taken a step back. And you look at that as another game that the Spurs really feel like they should have. I view that one like I viewed last night's game in pregame. Going up to Washington against a 3-8 and eight club is, is one the Spurs should have gotten. So I look at this game the same way. This is a quick road trip that the Spurs should go get one up in Detroit. They come back for a game on uh, Tuesday, December 3rd against the Rockets. Well, you weren't kidding about this hard schedule thing. It, it picks up. It really, <laughs> once you start taking the, the Knicks and Wizards out of the rotation, again, the Spurs, uh, four of their first 16 games against the, uh, or four of their first 17 games, I should say, against the Knicks and Wizards, who I think in a lot of people's minds were two of the maybe three or four worst teams in the NBA going in. That's uh, off the schedule quick this year. Get, get them <laughs> off the board. and uh, Couldn't we have gotten them in, a I don't know, a Tuesday night in February or March? I guess not. Well, I mean, we just looked at a Wednesday night in, in November, and it, what's really what's the difference in, in a lot of ways? <laughs> it's a long season. Uh, but, yeah, this uh, the, the Rockets, of course, with uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, uh, they, their duo, it's been good. I think it's going to continue to get better because James Harden is having – an incredible season right now offensively. And I think it's been overshadowed, I think, by some other things going on in the NBA. Right now, entering Thursday night, 38.4 points per game. The next highest score in the NBA is Giannis, who's at 30.5. So he's averaging 
almost eight more points per game than the next best guy. If if he keeps up this pace, which he won't, I don't think James Harden <laughs> will continue to average 38 points a game. It would be the number three scoring season in terms of points per game in NBA history behind only two Wilt Chamberlain seasons in the early 1960s. So you're saying if he does keep this up, just give him the MVP trophy now? You have to. You absolutely have to. Uh, Yeah, 1963 was the last time someone did that. Yeah, Russell Westbrook's not going to average a triple-double playing with James Harden. No, (laughs) but I think James Harden has been better because he's playing with Russell Westbrook. Ah, yeah. And I I think Russell Westbrook, and, and I think this was something that was people viewed as a possibility for this team where these guys just amplify each other. Uh, they, they, take, they sort of cancel out some of the, the negative things about each other and just bring out the positives. And I think that's what we're seeing here uh, with this team. But there's still a lot of season to go. Uh, injuries are a possibility. You never wish for that to happen. But uh, James Harden, just enjoy it while you can. I know a lot of people uh-huh. don't like his game. He gets <laughs> the free throw line a lot. It can be hard to watch at times. He's really good right now. He's really, really good. Oh, yeah, for sure. Take a quick break. Remember, Spurs fans, Ken's 5 is the official TV station of your San Antonio Spurs. We're carrying 14 Spurs games on Ken's 5 this season. The next one coming up in a little bit on December 16th when the Spurs visit the Houston Rockets. New this year, you can watch that game and any game that we air Spurs-wise on Ken's 5 and on the Ken's 5 app. Download the new Ken's 5 app, which is free, and don't miss out on any of the action. Remember, we'll also have plenty of exclusive Spurs coverage on Ken's 5 and kens5.com throughout the season. Vinny, let's take a look now around the rest of the NBA. We talked about Luka Doncic. I think he's a top five player in the NBA right now, if Do not really? top three. Who would you rather have? If you're, if, you're, if you're building a team that says, you say, you need to, we need to win today, who would you rather have than Luka Doncic out there? I, I guess you're right. It's not been an anomaly so far, but I want to see him keep it up a little bit longer. But sure. what, the, the, the sample size so far, more than fair. It's been outstanding. It's been terrific. Uh, PER-wise, he is a, a, a top five guy. He's also in the top five in win shares, blo- box plus minus, value over replacement player. Uh, really, he's comparable to LeBron James right now. That's, that's really the only guy <laughs> who is, who's putting up similar numbers right now in terms of triple-doubles. Uh, he's a triple-double threat every night. Big point triple-doubles. LeBron has a better supporting cast. Uh, I think AD is better than Porzingis, and then you look at guys 3 through 12 on the Lakers are going to be better than guys 3 through 12 on the Mavericks. So really, what Luka Doncic has to do, I, you know, you talked about James Harden, do you just hand him the MVP trophy? Maybe not. Maybe <laughs> not if Luka Doncic continues to be, you know, 39-9 and nine every night. And now poor Mark Cuban. Oh, i got to pay this guy. Oh, oh please. <laughs> uh, the, the other guy who's, who's in that conversation who I, I, I think has been overlooked a lot this season is Giannis Antetokounmpo, the reigning MVP from last season. Not a, talk, not a lot of talk about him so far. And Milwaukee has not been a particularly sexy team early this year. They've just been, you know, quietly getting, getting wins. They're very similar to last year. Really, the only significant change is they don't have Malcolm Brogdon anymore. And you want to talk about a guy who's not a sexy NBA player. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing with Giannis. He's making threes now. And that's something that if you're focused in on one team, you could totally overlook. That was the big glaring weakness in his game. Uh, in this last six games, he's attempting about five triples per game and making 42%. So he's not just shooting eh, one or two here or there. He's, he's, it's become a part of his offensive repertoire. And, uh, yeah, entering the games uh, Wednesday night, he was leading the league in PER, followed by Harden, Doncic, Carl uh, Anthony Towns and LeBron. I, I, I really like PER. I think there are some good stats. There are a lot of different stats to measure uh, 
what kind of impact a player makes beyond just you know points, rebounds, assists. PER does is a pretty good and understandable way, and I think it spits out numbers that that match the eye test. I think those have basically been the five best guys in the NBA in some order right now: Harden, Antetokounmpo, Doncic, Cat, and LeBron. Can I say too that I love this day and age in the NBA where seven footers are shooting threes. I love it. I don't I don't know what the fans think or what you think. But I'm a huge fan of it. And I know Kevin Durant was maybe the first guy, but to see all these other guys, even Lamarcus stepping out there and shooting threes, I think it's great for the game. I love it. Well, you talk about not just, I mean, obviously Durant with the, the shooting, but also the ball handling. I think Nowitzki sort of really brought it on. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, got to give the legend some credit. And uh, you want to talk about the transition of power. That was something that the Spurs, I think, thought they were going to have in this last decade, half decade or so. The transition from Nowitzki to the Doncic era has been snap. Yeah. Been good, absolutely. Uh, going back to the Greek freak, uh, his traditional numbers. If you're not a, a fan of PER the way I am, uh, his, his traditional numbers are also freaky: 30 points, 14 rebounds, six assists, and he's shooting just a, a hair under 60 percent. So, you know, pretty good. We ought to have co-MVPs at the end of the year. <laughs> uh, there, the last couple of years, there it's been hard to to deny certain guys. I know Harden has made the 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 year that uh, that Westbrook won. There was a big uproar that Harden had some better numbers. Yeah. And everyone was just enamored with uh, Westbrook averaging a triple double. Uh, Harden obviously winning two years ago. He had another great season last year, but they gave the nod to uh, to the Greek freak. So who knows? The, who knows where it's going to go this year? But I just know the NBA is in a great place in in terms of uh, superstars. Oh yeah, for sure. A team that maybe doesn't have the traditional superstar that's doing things really well, the Boston Celtics. Uh, they're with the Lakers right now. Those are the t- two teams that are on top of their respective conferences. Those two teams took different routes to get there, though. The Lakers obviously have the LeBron and AD super-duper star tandem. This is a rested LeBron who's sort of extending what it means to be a superstar in his prime. He's been in his quote-unquote prime with, you know, last season maybe being an exception since, I would say, 2008. And we're you know wow. we're going to hit 2020, and he's been in the conversation for best player in the NBA just about every year. That's that really hasn't been done since Kareem. Uh, on the flip side of that, though, the Celtics have a bunch of stars, but I don't think they have that super duper star. Kemba Walker is he's right there. He's right on the edge of that conversation. I think he was hurt for so long by playing in in Charlotte where he was overlooked quite a bit. I really like this Celtics team. And when they were here a few weeks ago and boat raced the Spurs, I'll say this. They played an A-plus-plus game. They're not going to do that every night, but even their B-plus game. They're a pretty darn good team. They lost out in L.A. to the Clips on on Wednesday night. But you're right. I think Kimball Walker's made all the difference for them. And and, and I don't want to accuse Kyrie of being program killer. But this Celtics team looks so much better with Kemba running the show than it did with Kyrie. They, they look like they are having fun. They're enjoying playing together. And I think a big part of that comes from playing Team USA this summer. They had, they had four guys who were uh, on that, that team that was in the, the FIBA World Championships. Obviously, Kemba as the sort of star of that team. But Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, young guys who are starting to make that leap. And then also Marcus Smart, who played a terrific defensive game. Uh, he had a great play, a save right at the end of... Uh, at the end of overtime in that game, throwing the ball off Kawhi, diving into the uh, yeah, yeah. into the TV table. I was watching that a little bit no, late last night. That's a great point by you. The Celtics did not have any fun last year, and they're having a ton of fun so far this year. Uh, as a team, they're getting to the rim. They're making free throws. I think Jalen Brown, the, there were some maybe a few eyebrows raised when he signed that extension before the, the, uh, the season started. Four years, $115 million. The question is, is it going to be worth it? He's really shining with uh, with Hayward out. He'll be back. He was starting to play really well. The, the, team, the thing that team is missing is, is a big man. 
They could be in the in the mix for a trade. I know they traded away Aaron Baines. That was something that raised a lot of eyebrows during the uh, during the draft. But they're they're really close to being a complete team. Very close. And and so far the the the, the sample we have so far this season very very impressive. The other thing that stands out. You want to talk about superstars, Carmelo Anthony back in the NBA. Welcome back, Melo. Did you see me roll my eyes, but go ahead. <laughs> Podcaster visual medium, Vinny. <laughs> He's a blazer. They're paying him about $2.2 million this year. Uh, side note, the Spurs are paying Damari Carroll about $7 million to sit on the bench for the most part. Uh, it, I, Jackson and I joked in the, in the, uh, you know, the summer versions of the, uh, the Big Fun Pod that the Spurs should go after Carmelo and Dwight Howard. Let's make a new big three. That was one of our, that was one of our little memes. No, I mean, to your point, how good has Dwight been for the Lakers this year? I mean, he's, he's kind of a program killer too, but he's worked out so far for L.A. He, uh, he's a guy who looks like he's having fun. Yeah. And you want to talk about guys who are having fun. Uh, Carmelo Anthony was atrocious in his first game. Uh, he, you know, he's been rusty. He hadn't played in the NBA in about 12 months. The the, uh, the Blazers lost 115-104 to the uh, Zion Williamsonless New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Melo started, which is incredible. I know that team, they've, they've had a lot of de- uh, depth problems, especially in, in the you know in the post. They they signed him to be the uh, power forward when Zach Collins went down. Uh, Melo st- uh, scored 10 points, turned it over five times, and was a minus 20 in 23 minutes. <laughs> So uh, you know that's that's the they got the full mellow experience in day one, and uh, Ooh, sarcasm there I like it. Hey, we're having fun. This is fun. We're having fun. <laughs> Everything is fun. It's fun. Uh, great quote from his trainer though in a piece on SB Nation. Quote: I told him to go out there and enjoy it. You never know when your time might be up. By no means does he plan on this being his last year. He's going to play through it, take it one day at a time, and hopefully he can play for another year or two after this. Well, that, you know what? That's you have to have that kind of mentality in the NBA. It's a doggy dog kind of world, but man, that's really optimistic. For him, it is, and 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 the, the Blazers have been really underwhelming so far this season. If they think this guy is going to be any sort of a savior, in my opinion, I don't see it. They, you know, give the Blazers some credit though. They're doing something that I think a lot of Spurs fans want to see. This the San Antonio front office do is is try something. Try try to make a change. Things weren't going well in the start of the season. The Blazers were I think four and eight to start. So you, you try something. You, you shake it up. You, you do something a little different. The Spurs did that a little bit on Wednesday night. They changed the yeah. starting lineup. And see, I think that's about as far as their shakeup yeah. goes. Yeah. So it's a fair it's a, it's a fair argument. Should they see what else is out there? But I just don't see it as their way. So I think lineup changes is about as far as they're going to go right now. That sort of leads Vinny into what's driving me batty. Uh, lineup changes. How well are they going to work? Because the Spurs' first quarters have been miserable. They were down thirty six twenty two to Dallas, forty one twenty three to Portland, thirty five twenty two to the Grizzlies three games before that, and then thirty nine thirty to the Celtics. So that's four games or three games plus another one where they were down nine, where they're down double figures after 12 minutes, and that's just really not conducive to winning basketball. During this losing streak, the Spurs have won the first quarter twice, with the other one being against the Wizards last night. So it was one going into that in the first six, and then uh, last night against the Wizards. This is happening against one of the NBA's easiest schedules. The Spurs have a bottom five defense, and it's been especially bad in the first quarter. Comebacks have been harder because San Antonio attempts the fewest threes in the NBA, even though they shoot an average percentage. They're, they're, they're decent when they shoot the ball from deep. They just don't let it fly. And uh, part of the problem is DeJounte Murray, who has uh, some real shortcomings in the half court uh, when the ball is in his hands. He's great in transition, but I think there are times when he becomes uh, almost a non-factor in the half court. And that really, when the ball is in his hands and he's not really a threat to shoot from deep, the, the Spurs get stuck offensively a lot. 
Yeah, they do. And, and, and we've heard a lot about him developing his mid-range and maybe his three-point game. And that's going to be a that's going to be an ever-evolving work in, in progress uh, for him. So we'll have to remain patient and uh, and just kind of see where that goes. I, I will say, and I think you'd agree with this, a number of the games where they've dug themselves deep early holes, they have battled back. Oh, yeah. And they've had a chance to win maybe all of these games late. So I, I know that it's all about winning and nobody wants excuses and say, well, they were this close and whatever. But if there is any sort of moral argument at 5 and 10, it's that they've been pretty darn close and maybe they can figure out a way. Yeah, you look at the seven-game losing streak. I think the only blowout loss was the one to the Celtics. Everything else has been, has been pretty close. Uh, and there, there is absolutely an alternate reality where the Spurs are at least a 500 team right now. And uh, that, that puts you well in the playoff conversation for the people who are talking about let's blow it up. It's not time yet. I know, uh, again, less than a month from now, anybody who signed in the offseason, there's, there's a restriction that they can't be traded until December 15th or 16th. And then there are a few other players who sort of become available to be involved in trades over the course of January as we head towards that February deadline. Let's let things shake out a little bit more. If you're if you're you know calling for Pop's head and calling for Demar and Lamarcus and Rudy and Marco to all be traded, let's you know let's just go with the young guys and then tank the season. No, not yet. There's still other things that will happen. Teams will start to have other needs pop up. Injuries will start to happen more and more. Hopefully not to the Spurs, but you know that they will happen around the league. I I hear the frustrations. I know. Tinkering with the starting lineup doesn't always work. I don't think a big trade is on in the cards yet, but I think we're a little bit closer than we were last week. You know, I thought about this whole tinkering with the lineup thing, Cameron. Sometimes you see that in the playoffs when a team uh, that's maybe, say, a 7 or 8 seed is down three games to none to a 1 or 2 seed. You'll see it in, in April, May, and June. So my only thought was, wow, already tinkering, and it's not even a week before Thanksgiving. So that's, that's from that standpoint, it was a little bit concerning to me. But they were also five and nine, and he needs to inject some enthusiasm and find something. So I can't really, really, I can't find any fault in in changing it up because they haven't been winning. Here's another thing that's driving me batty, Vinny. I don't know if you saw this report. Uh, it came out on Wednesday, sort of in the in the morning or afternoon. Apparently, Paul George wanted to be traded to the Spurs back in 2017. He, the, wow. this, the the seeds were sort of planted for uh, Kawhi and Paul George to play together. And this was, again, before the trade that ended up sending Paul George to Oklahoma City. So that the trade happened in the summer of 2017, before that 17-18 uh, season. The question was just, what could the Spurs put pieces together to send to Indiana and have brought PG-13 down here? They didn't. They, at that time, they didn't have the other pieces around uh, Paul or around Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't think the, the Pacers probably didn't want LaMarcus. They probably would have wanted some young guys. And at that point, value wasn't high enough on Derek White, DeJounte Murray, uh, you didn't have guys like Lonnie Walker in the mix yet. So, yeah, the, the trade wasn't actually possible. And it just goes to show you how th there are so many what-ifs in the NBA. And we could do an hours and hours worth of podcasts on uh, various what-ifs. One that I think, I'll, I'll go back to Kawhi Leonard for another what-if just to sort of leave a weird taste in your mouth, Spurs fans. The 2017 Western Conference Finals, Oakland, California, Spurs are up by, I think, 20 points against the Warriors. More than 20. Zaza Pachulia gets under Kawhi Leonard. He's hurt. He misses the rest of the series. The Warriors storm back and win that game, and the Spurs lose all their momentum. And things really haven't been the same for San Antonio since then. The following season, Kawhi played just nine games. He asks out of San Antonio. 
They, they sort of limped to the playoffs last year and obviously really struggling out of the gate this year. What, you know, so the what if is obviously, you know, what if Zaza is not, uh, isn't, doesn't do the Zaza thing there. To the Spurs, because that was a great Warriors team. That was an, an incredible Warriors team. I think they only lost once in that entire playoffs, but they were down big to that Spurs team. And that, that was a loaded Spurs team that year. And even if Kawhi stays healthy, who's to say that Golden State doesn't rally to win the series? Sure. But who's to say the Spurs don't beat them four games to two? So, yeah, you point back to that. And it's really it's really a fascinating thing to think about. What if? You know, what if Kawhi stayed healthy? And what if the Spurs had won the title? And what if Kawhi wants to stay? And and they, who, and, they who, and then Paul and Paul George possibly comes in. Who would they have attracted? Yeah, you just it, – it's a very fine line. It's fun to think about, but it's frustrating too. But, yeah, you, you, you think about – so many years in, in, in the NBA, there have to be countless Cameron what ifs. What if so and so had gone here? You know, what if so and so had gone there? What if, what if the Spurs hadn't won the Duncan lottery? What if the Celtics had? How would that have rewritten NBA history over the years? Yeah, the, the Spurs and the Celtics were the top two teams that year in terms of yeah. and the Spurs just got the lucky bounce. <laughs> One more thing I want to uh, I want to hit on before we run out of time here is the uh, the news in the NBA this week of these new City Edition uniforms. Again, this is th that Nike process every year now. Teams switching up that fourth uniform. So there's the traditional, uh, you know, home, away, or they don't call it that anymore. There's the traditional, you know, light, dark, and alternate ones. And then the teams sort of tinker with a third uniform at times, or a fourth uniform at times. Uh, the Spurs, again, aren't participating. This is, they, they got the camouflage uniforms in the first year of this in, in 2018. They kept, they kept the, the dark camouflage ones as their city uniforms last year. They're doing it again this year. Apparently, though, it's the last year of this uh, cycle, and the Spurs next year will be having at least a different city uniform, quote-unquote city edition. <laughs> uh, at this point, the continuity is nice for the Spurs. I'm not the biggest fan of the camo. I think there are a lot of people who would rather see the Spurs do some something, maybe some fiesta colors or something just a little bit more fun and imaginative because that's what this the city edition uniforms are all about. The most popular ones have been the Miami Vice uniforms uh, that have been, uh, we've seen white, we've seen black, we've seen pink, and I think this year they're doing like a, a teal color. What do you uh, think of the uh, Warriors uniforms that say San Francisco? I, uh, well, that's a throwback. That's different, I think. Uh, okay. I think. The, the, the Warriors are in a special, they, they get some kind of special uniform exception. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the NBA's uniform program has gotten a little out of control. There are some really good ones, though, and uh, you know, try to describe some of them for you here. Obviously, uh, you know, find them on you know Twitter or uh, various blogs. I'm a big fan of what the Nuggets are doing. They they have the the rainbow coming back. Mm, yeah, that that's that's a real classic bit of uh, Nuggets history. One popular one that I'm seeing online that I dislike, maybe just because I don't really have connection to Milwaukee, is that they're, they're cream colored and they say Cream City. Is that a nickname for Milwaukee? Am I missing something? Because that's just just a little weird. I thought Milwaukee was Beer City. Uh, not for the Bucks. They're cream. It's, it's cream city. Uh, so that, that's a weird one. Uh, the the T Wolves have sharp looking ones that are baby blue. Oklahoma City did a really good one, uh, a uniform tribute to the the victims of the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, they, they they can do some cool things with city uniforms. Uh, there are also some real duds. The Rockets have ones that say H Town across the front, which just feels like kind of casual. And there's some good uniform history to draw on for the Rockets. Isn't that just like the Rockets to sell out? Just have one that says H Town. H Town, yeah. Come on, Rockets. Uh, and and to me, the the weirdest ones are Sacramento has ones that are primarily red, and uh, they're trimmed in like a light blue and white. But yeah, red for Sacramento just that'll that'll be one. I don't think the Spurs play them when they're going to, because the NBA releases a schedule of when every team is going to wear every uniform. Yeah. I'd have to look. 
but there's a chance that if the Spurs match up with them in a game where they're wearing that uniform, I could turn that game on and have no idea who they're playing against because they're just introducing all of these weird color schemes and, <laughs> and different looks. There, there's something to be said for just instant, you know, you're watching highlights, you catch something out of the corner of your eye on a, you know, on a TV at, at a restaurant or a bar or something, and you know immediately who's playing. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. <laughs> All I can tell you is that City Edition or regular, I can't stand the jazz uniforms. Nothing personal, Utah fans, just not a fan of your Which uniforms. ones? The, the, the gradient ones? The ones with the, that are like yellow on top but red on bottom? Well, that would be the worst. Those are great. What are you talking about? Um. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. And, and, and they, this year they're bringing back the throwbacks, the... Uh, there's a lot of 90s throwbacks this year, right? The, the Grizzlies have the teal uh, Grizzlies ones that, you know, they have the ridiculous garish bear with the mm-hmm. claw. And the Utah has the mountain ones that are from that, uh, the end of that Malone-Stockton era. I, Vinny, you're killing me here. Really? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Really? And I love the outdoors and the mountains. I'm just not big on the jazz uniforms. But, but we got, we got to bring back the uh, 80s uh, short shorts. The short shorts, if we're going to do that? Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Sure. That's, that's our big fun idea for the day. This has been the Big Fundamental Podcast. He's been even Zeta. I'm Cameron Songer. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Big Fun Pod, Ken's Five at obviously Ken's Five on Facebook and Twitter. A uh, lot more Spurs content coming your way on Ken's Five and Ken's Five.com. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, rate and review. And we'll see you next time. Hope you've enjoyed the Big Fundamental Podcast. We'll be back soon. Peace.